to the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 37 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, how's it going, April? It is going as good as it possibly could. <laughs> today has oh, been a day. I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, oh, today's been a day, but it's cool because I'm here and I'm talking with you. So I know, it, and I'm it's that a good awesome. night. Mm, just, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> I'll go with that for today. I'll let all, you, let you have it. All we're hoping for is no technical difficulties, which means we're going to have lots of technical difficulties. Probably. I'm already like frustrated about it, but it's okay. That's but okay. I'm not editing a damn thing. So whoever's listening, you just got to suffer through it. It'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Before I get into it, I want to mention our sponsors. I will start with Herps Reptile Shows. Uh, because I'm about to start my marathon run with Herp, Herp's Reptile show, Shows with Sean Gray, uh, the owner of the shows, is starting his marathon run of five shows in a row. I'm only doing four with like a break in between one of them. But uh, coming up, October 24th and 25th in Slidell, Louisiana, Herp's Reptile Show. It's also a, a hot show, so come to it if you want to just see some venomous snakes. Or uh, some hot people. <laughs> I mean, I will be there. Uh October 31st and November 1st, that's Halloween weekend, come Beaumont, Texas to the Herb Show. There'll be candy, so come dressed up, whatever you want. I mean, be I'm creative. working. I'm sad. Otherwise, I'd totally go just so I could get candy. <laughs> Fat folks love candy. I'm just saying. Fatty alert. <laughs> the weekend after that. In Lafayette, Louisiana, an hour from my house, is the uh, first Herp show in Lafayette. Or at least I think it's the first one. Uh, that will be November 7th and 8th. And someone will special will be at that one. He's talking about me, surprisingly. By special, I mean a short bus kind of special. <laughs> oh, jerk. You ruined it. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then my off week, which is the week after that, which is the Stafford, Texas show, which is south of Houston, in case anybody's not sure where Stafford, Texas is. It's just south of Houston. That's November 14th and 15th. And then New Orleans, November 21st and 22nd. And then I take a breath and I and I hang out until January when Slidell. There's a couple more shows. We'll mention them later on in between. So if you need to get your Christmas gifts or something, there is a few shows in there in between. But So you can get man, me my tarantula that I've been wanting? I'm not getting you shit. For Christmas? Oh, man. <laughs> I can kind of pretend that that book is a present because I paid for it so long ago. That'll be like, I know. oh, wow. <laughs> when, when I give you the ball, you got to remind me to give you the ball python book. I, I think know. it's still in my, it's in my tub, my show tub that I take. So no good. it's not going good. there. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, that's, I can't, Sean and Lori are going to be on the road for five. I mean, well, when they go, to well, no, they'll, they'll be on the road straight for five shows. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy life. That's going to be murder. That is a crazy <laughs> life. But also at those shows, besides seeing me at the Simply Bio table, I almost said Simply Serpents, but I only have like five snakes, so I'm not I'm I'm very Simply Serpents at those shows. Uh, but Simply Bio, come by and see me. A little bioactive uh, enclosures. I spent like hours yesterday watching football and drilling holes in those things. So if anybody ever wants to complain about the price, look, damn it, I had to drill holes in those things by hand. You can suck it up and pay it. 
That's not that's that's how you sell stuff, right? You threaten the customer. I mean, sure, if that works for you, then that's that's I I don't even know what to say. I, I'm more. I think it'll work. Okay. <laughs> so come by and okay. see me at the Simply Bio table. I've got isopods and I've got enclosures. It's a whole deal. It's great. Come by see me. Also at the shows, you'll get to see our other awesome sponsor, Lone Star Reptile Racks. You can come by and see Robert. We're actually like side by side at a couple of these shows. Oh, that's Things exciting. Come, yeah, they can just come see both of us. Can I bring my uh, cats? I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm going to have someone watch them. No worries. Oh. <laughs> I got I'm you. sorry. No I'm allergic to them. I'm allergic lies. to them. You can't bring them. That's, that's lies. Uh, so come out see Robert pick up a rack if you want to get a rack if you're going to be at any of these shows get a hold of Robert beforehand he will have it there for you uh, any size rack set you know hatching racks all the way up to like I think he uses the vision t- no not the vision tubs freedom breeder tubs uh, what is the big one like 70 I think it's the yeah. FB70 real so, real big ones are like uh, I think they're V180s yeah that's the gigantic ones yep those are the ones I love yeah you would I do. But so those are our sponsors. Come out, check us out at the Herp shows. See Robert. Go talk to him. Then come talk to me. Buy stuff from him. Buy stuff from me. I need money. Uh, I just bought a new snake yesterday, which will be here tomorrow. So I need money. Okay. So everyone, give James money, apparently. That's the <laughs> yes. moral of the story. Feel sorry for me because <laughs> I bought a brand new snake. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> What, I'll, I'll look sad. I'll make big puppy dog eyes and come yeah, by. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I am excited. I get a new snake tomorrow. I can't wait. Although I, uh, I've i realized now I've got issues. I'm going to have to quarantine it. I will now have snakes in three different rooms of my house because I've got snakes they, quarantined in my bedroom. Are they at, like different time frames or something? Well, yeah, because I, I, my rubber boas are quarantined in my bedroom. And in a couple of weeks, they're about to come out and go into the fridge that will be in my snake room. So they're coming out of quarantine then. Uh, and I don't want to have to restart quarantine because I need to get them into brumation. So I'm going to have this new sand boa in a room all by itself. Rubber boas and my boa constrictor that I got, I think is still a male, which is not supposed to be a male. Those are in my bedroom. And then everything else, my snake room. I got snakes everywhere. You really do. I'm surprised Katie puts up with that. <laughs> yes, I'm an, I'm an awesome wife and it's great. I thought you said I'm an awesome wife. I was no, like, I have an okay, awesome wife. Yes, a- I'm an awesome wife. <laughs> what a foolish boat. Uh, before we get too far into this, I would like to introduce our guest. This man is the president of the Idaho Herptological Society. Yeah, you are. Sorry. I'll say it again. <laughs> Idaho? Yes, you are to hoe. There you go. All right. This is Kyle Grunt Phillips. Up. Say hello, Kyle. Hello. Yeah. How are you guys? We're fabulous. We are That's my here. Word. Everyone knows. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I have Kyle. No clue. I have not really talked to Kyle yet. He is within the blood circle, right? You keep how many blood circles? That blood sounds do you have, really Kyle? wicked. He's in the blood circle. Yeah. Yeah, I think I missed that uh, initiation ceremony for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, how many do I have is a good question. I think if you include my babies right now, I'm. Right around like fifty ish. Yeah, that's right where I am. Good stuff. It's <laughs> a lot of bloods. Yeah, it's a lot of pee, like four times a week. That is a lot of pee. That is. I mean, they pee like a gallon. I can't imagine. Like, 
Because at least with my snakes, when they pee, the bedding gets wet, and I just throw the bedding out. But you're like just pouring shit out of a tub. Yeah, I That's legit exactly do that right. into a bucket. <laughs> do, you pour, actually, do you pour into a bucket and then pour like the bucket outside or down the toilet or something? Yep, exactly right. <laughs> yep, that's what I do too. I, I literally have buckets in my snake room here next to me, and I take my uh, Christmas tree tubs and I dump them in there, there, and then I go dump them down the toilet. That is horrible. Yep. <laughs> the only time I have to flush something down the toilet is like when a snake decides to shit, like a big snake decides to shit in the water bowl for like the first time in seven or eight months. They'll randomly do it. And then I'm like, yeah, that's got to go down the toilet. But I can't imagine just the amount of urine that's coming out, or urate that's coming out of your blood pythons. Yeah, it's a lot. But they only the shit like twice a year, so you're good. Well, mine poop like every couple weeks, actually. Oh, yours are very regular. They must yours have a mine? very yours high fiber okay. diet. <laughs> I tend to give like uh, smaller meals, and I'll break it up like uh, some... Well, I'm out of birds, but I'll give them chicks. And then uh, every time I clean them, I soak them. So I don't know if a combination of all those things, and I do supply belly heat to everybody, but all of mine tend to have small poops fairly consistently. Every now and then, you know, some snake will have a giant turd. Excuse me, a giant turd in there, but it's not real often for me. So what I'm getting is one of y'all are doing it wrong. <laughs> it's probably me. Let's be real here. <laughs> oh, I am. So, uh, I must say that was very impressive that you're able to uh, enunciate so many syllables and two different words there for you, uh, April. When you herpetological society, that's pretty good. It's a big word for her. She I practiced know. all day. I know. I really thought I, I've probably said it wrong too. But she probably wanted to say up on that word. <laughs> she wanted to say snake club really bad. Yeah, I really, yeah. really did. I really did. The Idaho snake freaks. Yeah. yeah. He's in charge of all of them. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's head, he's head freak. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I do uh, want to get more into that uh, and, and the Herb Society stuff later. I do want to first, before we go there, I want to hit our question that we kind of slacked on and put up last night. But thanks to everybody that commented. We got 14 comments on it. We got a lot of comments and there were long comments. Yeah, there were good comments. And well, yeah. so they were, most of them were good. And then there were Scott Ipers. So. Oh, Scott, by the way, if kidding. you're listening, I would love to have you on the show. We can talk about venomous stuff, doing it the right way. Just saying. Yes. Just saying. And then I can just make fun of him in person, I guess. Okay. So Scott, Scott had a good one. Here's Scott's. He, he wrote a novel. He's allowed to answer again. All right. Shifting away from, oh, wait, let me tell you the question. Duh. It's a Monday. What would you like to see in the future for our hobby? Which is kind of a broad question. It really could be go any which direction. Um, but a lot of our answers were like more like how they wanted to see the hobby as a whole, like the people. Not so much like, I'd like to see them start building some of these or building that. Yeah, I was thinking more, when I thought of this question, I was thinking more of... Like, less the behavior of people, you know, and more, like, the standards that we want to set. But I guess I guess people are kind of in that a little bit, but I wasn't really considering people so much. Yeah, because people suck. Yeah. This was based off a conversation um, that Kyle and I had, uh, what, the other night, probably? Um, based off of a comment that I saw on the Blood Python post. Um, but we can let oh, him yeah. go on to his, his little... We'll his, get into that. Yeah. All right. So let's go through these first. 
Uh, Scott Iper said shifting away from demonizing venomous keepers. And I agree. The The tricky part, though, is I think there, the two main types of venomous keepers that everybody tends to see are the ones that are doing it horribly wrong and something happens and they get news articles about them. Or the other exactly. ones that are also doing it the other ones that are doing it wrong but have youtube channels you don't see people like <laughs> scott or other people like you don't see them doing it right and so yeah you get those two other polarizing ends for sure i think i mean i don't keep any hots but i've had to care for them and move some around and whatnot and it should be about the most boring thing in the world you're using basically one to two hooks you're saying your distance your safety is everything you're basically not putting yourself in any kind of harm's way. Um, it just it, it's all about safety protocol and not having to prove it yourself to anybody that you're tough enough or like look at you, you can free handle. At least the way I look at it, it should just be safe for the animal, safe for the keeper, and everyone has a good experience. And the hobby doesn't get any kind of black eyes from it. And unfortunately, that's not so. Like I agree with them. the public needs to see people like scott and people that where it is super boring and go look this is the general this is the majority of the people keeping venomous which i think i honestly think the majority of the people keeping venomous are doing it the right way it's yeah, just that's why you don't hear about them yeah that's the, exactly you're only hearing the negatives or the ones that say hey look at me and you don't hear about the tons that are doing it the right way and so yeah it does seem like everybody goes well why should you keep that no one needs venomous well that's not true i mean have you ever seen a kaboom viper you're trying to tell me there's no one needs a Gaboon Viper. That thing's awesome. Did you see the, yeah, cool. the post of the Gaboon Viper over the guy's shoulder in public? I was about yes, to ask I, if you yes, saw I, that. Yeah. I, that was sketchy. I fucking did. All right, so I, I was really hoping somebody photoshopped over a ball python or something. I don't uh, think so. Is that the case? I don't, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. If anybody hadn't seen it floating around, there was a, a guy out, like, out in front of like, a grocery store or something. With a kaboom strapped over his like right shoulders hanging down and like his head resting on his forearm and talking about how calm his, his little buddy is or whatever. I'm like, oh, what so many things could go wrong in that split second. I know. Goodness. But, you know, in all reality, it's not just the venomous community that gets demonized. It's just really snake keepers in general, even reptile keepers. How many people keep bearded dragons appropriately without having to put it in a, like a, a dress and a skirt? and take it to the pet store to show it off or have to walk around a reptile expo with a berm around their neck or going to Petco with a ball python around their neck to show it off. Most of us don't need that kind of recognition and attention. That's not why we keep them. Uh, I think, you know, the venomous is, is extraordinary because of the inherent uh, consequences if you screw up. It's danger. Well and and I used to be that person that would take like a snake or everything now every now and then to Petco, but I wasn't, it was different. I wasn't taking it to be like, Oh, let me go freak out people, which all people do all the time. Sure. I, I very much try to stay away from folks. And it was just like, Hey, I, I talk to people. But then I realized as time went on two things. One, it's not healthy for my animals. Can't keep taking my animals out in public. It's not healthy to bring that out and then bring them back into the, the collection. And then two, it's just, there's, I feel there's more negative that's going to come from that situation than positive, which is why uh, the past two years, this year because of freaking COVID, we didn't have it. But the past two years, my local reptile group, we started a uh, the Reptile Day event where it was we had, I think, 
like the 2000 people come out to uh, last year and it was just all reptiles. People came to the place. They got to walk around, see a bunch of stuff. We had several different people doing presentations throughout the day. We had alligators and tortoises and we had all sorts of stuff, but they knew what they were coming to. Exactly. Nothing was there. It was no like, Hey, let me show this in your face. There's, it was one of our rules is you do not scare a single person with a reptile. You don't force anybody to do anything. For and sure. so that's, that's different than someone turning around, turning down the cat food aisle at Petco, and all of a sudden you have an eight-foot boa around your neck. Yeah, it's like an ambush, and they have a phobia, and of course no one knows it, but they go in there to get their supplies, and all of a sudden, like you said, there's a boa there, and they have a horrific phobia, and they run out, and they have a worse experience with reptiles once again. So, yeah, so to me, it was the, the negatives, unfortunately, far outweighed the positives in that situation, and I don't know the last time I've even taken a reptile to a place other than to an event where it was known that there was going to be reptiles there. Exactly. It, you, I don't yeah, think that was people a great do it necessarily of... out of um, like well, trying to scare people or anything. They're just really excited and proud of their animal. Uh, it depends. Oh, some people sure. really enjoy the scare factor. They really enjoy yeah. the, hey, look at me yeah, some and let me do. freak you out. Yeah, and I think April hit a, a good point. Or I think a lot of people are just so excited that they want to share it and that maybe it doesn't quite uh, their enthusiasm overshadows their ability to, you know, maybe be thoughtful of other people's phobias and how realistic they are to them. Like how intense some people see a snake from 20 feet away or even on TV. It makes them so uncomfortable. They have to leave the room. Yeah. Well, and, and we've all met those people that are super excited about, I'm trying to see how, see, I can say this nicely without making, like I'm saying, I'm making fun of them, which I am. The people that are super excited about their pets uh, and they have to tell everybody about their pet, everything about their pet. And so like those people are not the same as, you know, us. And we can kind of separate the, the, the situation. We, we, we know when it's okay and when it's not okay. And there's yeah. some people that are just I like, think... I, I need you to see my lizard. I'm like, calm down. Yeah. I think it's just being excited and being naive. And I think it's a stage we probably all go through at some point yeah. in this journey of uh, caring for, uh, reptiles um depending on however what stage in our life we get into it maybe we don't do it as much but you know i think it's just something that we all go through we all go through progressive stages hopefully as we mature as keepers i agree Definitely. i agree too so that was uh that was the very first sentence from scott Iper's book that he wrote here uh the next one is improving the standard of husbandry across the board and he wrote uh racks are not the solution neither are cages bioactive uh, sterile outside, inside access, assess the needs of species and whether you as a keeper are prepared to accommodate, if not keep something else. Um, I mean, yes and no. I, I think I get where he's going with that. It's, I think the problem is we, we try too often for that whole cookie cutter, like everything's going to fit into this situation, which it definitely doesn't. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And I think one thing that we tend to forget, because not m maybe not all of us have worked in a pet store and seen the setting for people are going to keep an animal how they want to keep it, no matter what you tell them, no matter oh, yes. how many different fantastic books are out there or resources. If they feel like they want to keep that iguana in a 10 gallon tank, they're going to keep talking to some people until someone says, yeah, that'd probably be OK. And then that yeah, way I, they feel justified and they just do it. Yeah, I used it's to work right. smart. People always yeah, want to keep their goldfish, 
I want to keep my goldfish in a bowl. I'm like, you can't stay in a bowl. I had one in a bowl. That doesn't mean it lived. Like, no, that's not how that works. Oh, my goodness. One of our county fairs, instead of the uh, ring toss for a goldfish, it was a ring toss for an iguana one year. Oh, oh I had someone I had someone come in once when I was at PetSmart. It was a, a small little, like, uh, carnival or whatever out here. And uh, they came in with an iguana. I was like, where'd you get this baby iguana? Oh, we wanted it at the, at the fair. I was like, who the hell gives away an iguana at a fair? Yeah, and you and could, then, like... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, then the other fair that we have around here, instead of the ring toss for a fish, it's for a bunny. A fucking bunny. Like, I don't know if anybody else out there is taking care of a bunny, but it's not an easy thing. No, you know, but at least there's a lot more meat on that bunny than there is a goldfish. <laughs> it's true. You can eat it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember that was like the most, like, I couldn't believe it with the iguana because for another 15 bucks, they could buy their critter keeper as the kit to keep the iguana. And these yeah, people they would come up. in and they'd like argue they with you straight up that the carny was like, no, you can keep them in this. And you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it only grow to the size of the cage you leave it in. Right. That's, I mean, that's science right there. Oh, for sure. The only reason they grow big in the wild is because it's outside. Duh. Oh. Uh, Scott also said uh, he likes the UVB exposure should be the norm for all reptiles and amphibians until proven otherwise. I, I can agree. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I can agree that it probably should be done yeah. in certain situations. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard. I mean, the the little meters that measure UVB, they're so expensive. Most most keepers don't have one. So we don't really yeah. know what our UVB measurements are throughout our house, outside. Uh, even when they go and they study these different animals in the wild, when they write their studies, I don't believe most of them include any type of uh, UVB reports either. Well, and like... you. I mean, it's, we it's know they're different outside, someone, so, but... Well, you think about, like... So, you think about Charles, like, you're doing bloods. I, I know I've talked about this before. Y'all do bloods. I do uh, sand boas. These things are staying buried most of the time. And I get, yes, they do come out and travel from point A to point B. But how much time do they actually spend getting UV light on them? I'm not. That's not an argument against UV light, but that's a serious question. Like, I don't think we actually know. I think going to a place and going, hey, look, I caught this animal in this area, and then just taking a UV reading from that area is not the same as following that animal and seeing how often it's actually out in the uv light yeah that's true and then you know i think that's something for us to each evaluate with our animals that we keep because we live in different areas of the u.s we keep in different ways whether it's rack bioactive you know hot rock with some astroturf you know whichever way you do it um we ought to please don't do the last one (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) We ought to be able to observe our individual animals and really try and figure out what it is they're needing, what they're seeking, and maybe adapt our setups and our keeping to, you know, really provide for our individual animals, whether it's individual species or individual of, you know, I have all these bloods, but I have a couple that act a little bit different than the others. I have my female that laid eggs for me earlier this spring. When I come in the room, she starts cruising and she starts smearing her face on the the side of the tub. And if I let her do it, she'll just, you know, her gums will get all inflamed. So I just open the tub and she sticks her head out and looks around it, but she doesn't go anywhere. But I've noticed she's really inquisitive when I come in the room. (laughs) That's really cute. (laughs) It's just something I've noticed with her. So I I tried that and it seems to like she likes to do it. It, Well, that feeds into what else Scott said. He said he'd like to see a. We're talking about what they'd like to see. You know, people expected basically reptile intelligence and that pain are real. Um, and, and I agree. I think the problem is I definitely grew up in the period of where 
snakes are dumb. They're, they, you know, it's they they're very simple animals, but we're learning more and more that species, certain species aren't. Um, but I also have a problem with I don't know how much how much of this research into snake intelligence is true intelligence versus I don't I don't, I don't know I don't know how smart my boa that is staring at me right now really is or how satisfied it is. And I guess that's the problem is like, we don't really, as much as we go, well, they're happy. They're eating, they're feeding, they're breeding. They're happy. We don't know. We can assume. Yeah. So, we can never so, know. We can, we can really just look at for when things go wrong. And once, as long as we're avoiding things that go wrong, if nothing else, we're going to tell ourselves we're doing well. Yeah. We'll definitely tell ourselves that for sure. So, I mean, I, I think we definitely have to admit that these animals are, I mean, they've been on Earth for millions of years. They had to evolve some form of intelligence. We can't just assume they're just mindless machines that just eat and sleep. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, we got to look at, you know, there's got to be some way. They've got to be smart because my hand is, you know, fleshy and uh, warm like the rats and mice and chicks. So they've got to, they could just randomly take a stab at everything that went in the tub as food, but they don't. They figure it out. I feel like I can see some sort of processes going on with them where, you know, what I always like to say to people is, you know, I, I feed in the tubs because they know it's not food because food doesn't pick them up out of their tubs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, you watch snakes when you go in to get them with the hook, they, they kind of learn that whole process of what a hook is doing. So there's obviously some sort of re remembering of what happened last time and what's happening this time. Yes. Unless you have a Maclots Python and then you just dodge it when you open the tub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, our buddy, Sean Gray, our sponsor of the show from Herb's Reptile Show said he would like to see people in the community actually helping others grow, even if they will eventually be competition. I 100% agree with that wholeheartedly. At least you'll have good competition that pushes you to be better. Yes. I, I think too many times people like to keep things really close. Now, I understand keeping projects close to the vest just because you're like, I, I'm working on this and I don't want anybody. But if someone just needs advice, I think anybody should be able to give advice. There's no, there's no reason not to. It only helps the hobby and the person that's giving it. Eventually... They're going to give it to somebody who's going to take that a step farther and maybe come back to them and go, look, this is what I learned. And this is what else I've done. So I agree with that. So I think, I think too many people, I don't know. I say to people, most of the people I'm around now are like that. I don't really surround myself with people that aren't, but I'm sure many people that get into the hobby fairly new are hit up with those kinds of people very often. Because uh, they haven't weeded that that part of the hobby out of their life yet, you know. I know yeah. that any of the people, any of my friends in the hobby, I can go to and ask them a question, and I'm going to get a real answer, not something that they just want to tell me. So I'll leave them alone and then keep doing what they're doing. Exactly, and you know, I think I don't think there really is competition, truthfully, because you are no one is you. No one keeps the animals you keep. No one uh, interacts with people the way you do. No one is. Uh, you know, tells, says things in the manner that you do. My delivery is usually pretty straight and or sarcastic, but I'm generally incredibly, I try to be pretty straightforward and honest about it. Um, 
But I think, you know, like for Bloods, and for instance, you know, if someone has got a chance to buy from VPI and Tracy or Kara, or they can buy from me, they don't really know who I am. And I'm cool with that, but they're going to buy those other animals from Kara or from Tracy Barker just based on the namesake, knowing how recognized they are in the industry and how much of, uh, you know, just known for quality just based on that. It's not that they're my competition. We're just different. We're established at different points on our, our paths right now. Yeah, and you're going to have your certain ideal client that, you know, Tracy's not going to have or Kara's not going to have, but they'll be coming to you because of the traits that they recognize in you that they appreciate or like or whatever it might be. Well, I agree. You'll get to that. I mean, you may, I don't know. We may not get to Tracy's point. That that may that may be a lofty goal for anybody. <laughs> but I mean, that would include a surgery, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I still don't think April will get to that point either. And that doesn't require surgery. Tra- Nope. But I think you'll get to that point where you'll have a customer base and you'll have people that will – as long as you stay in something long enough and you do it the right way, eventually people will say, hey, you're looking for this? Go see this guy. Go see this person. That will happen. But that comes with time. I think too many people get into the hobby and they want to be that person now. You can't be that person now. They They weren't that person when they started. You know, Tracy, well, Tracy and Dave weren't Tracy and Dave when they started. That's been a lifetime of getting to the point they're at now. And it's a pretty good damn point where they're at right now. I think if, I mean? if you have excellent customer service and you are ethical, I think that'll put you so far. Like if you make a mistake and you go out of your way to make it right, people take note and people let others know. That's, yes. I think, really important, especially in this tiny niche hobby that we have. Niche. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think Sean is when he says that he's also seeing it from a different view as well because he sees so many people on the breeder vendor side of it with all the shows he does, and um, and for the most part, the general uh, like the general base of the vendors at his shows are those people that are willing to help each other. That that's why we all fit together at those shows and why it all works out. But every now and then you get the one that comes in that everybody's like. That dude's a dick. And that dude ends up not being around much longer because no one's referring him any business. No one's going to him to buy anything at a show. It's sooner or later they're gone. Because like you said, if there's no customer service and if you become known as being a dick all the time, no one's gonna want to do any work with you. That's something I yeah. noticed in the blood community. There may not be too, any hope but... for me then. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people um in the blood community, if Actually, I just I've gotten a few references from other breeders where if they don't have something but they know that another person does, they will gladly, you know, reference you and recommend you to someone else, you know? So I, I don't really the circle that I'm in, I don't really see that too much. Yeah, like I said, it, I think it's just it all takes time. You know, the uh Riley and Andy had Dave calling on their podcast uh last week or whatever it was, and for anybody that's know who he is, that just means you don't do rainbow boas. He's he is the pinnacle of Brazilian rainbow boa breeding. But he got there from decades upon decades of doing it the right way. And like I said, it's just it just takes time, you know. And you will get to that point. But I think too many people jump in and out of the hobby. And there's there's not you've just got to, you've got to stay around for more than three years. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I've been. Well, in I'm just ready to go ahead years. and sell my whole collection because the market's flooded. 
I mean, it's true. The market is flooded, but just go ahead. Sell them all. <laughs> You'll be fine. Uh, my 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 other business partner Tracy, who if I don't plug her, she gets mad at me. She's the other part of Simply Bio. <laughs> uh, said like Sean said. She'd like to see people helping each other, people willing to teach new hobbyists instead of just uh, belittle, belittling them for not knowing, but also not thinking they know at all. I would also like to see new keepers put a bit more work into researching the animal, uh, the animal they want before they get them. I personally love to talk to others who already keep the animal. I won't because personal experience is better than just reading about them. Sometimes, also people willing to continue to learn about the animals and keep the way that keep and ways to keep them. So I got one thing there. I totally agree. People need to research shit more before they go out and get them. Um, and I, I wish people would research, research things before they go talk to people. I'm all about talking to someone who keeps it because I agree. Firsthand knowledge is better than reading it off of just something on the internet, even though sometimes a lot of that is firsthand knowledge, but talking it just you're able to get more across than talking than just reading. But don't come to that person with zero knowledge on the animal whatsoever. Because at that point, it's you're asking that person to do all the work for you. And they've done the work themselves. They show a little bit of respect that you actually went out and learned something about the animal before you came and tried to learn a little more. Yeah, it's going to show that you have some effort and that you're really uh, serious and passionate about wanting to learn and try. Um, you know, I've gotten some really good advice and a lot of help uh, from Ryan Young. And, uh, you know, I always tell him, you know, I really appreciate your help. Thank you so much for all the times you've helped me out over the years. And, uh, you know, he always, he, he's told me, you know, it's no problem. I appreciate helping people who want to be helped. That, yeah, I, I say all the time as a teacher with uh, students who just are too lazy to do the work. It's like, I can only help those willing to help themselves. That's all I can do. Yeah, And it's the same with the hobby. You, uh, if a breeder is getting upset with you, and there's someone that normally is is willing to help people, and they're getting upset with you. It may not be the breeder's fault. <laughs> yeah. So don't go yelling about that breeder. On I love that one where someone like something happens, and they only post the uh, screenshots of a message thread that show their side, and then they post it in a group, and everyone goes, "Yeah, well, that person was right, and you're wrong. So shut up and go away." Because like they know the person they're bitching about is a good character because again, they've been around for a while, they've done it the right way. And so, again, if it's someone that everyone knows that name and you found that name out because everyone else knows that person, and then all of a sudden you think they're a dick, maybe you did something wrong. So, I don't know. I just – that I, I agree that we've got to quit treating newbies also like they're idiots, even though some may be, and you can get upset about that newbies out there, but some of y'all are think, idiots because everyone was. I think you can. we can get almost – burnt out by the amount of people we talk to or, or help answering like similar questions but i think we just got to step back and put it in perspective I, I like really saying that term really on the same journey we're just a we're different paths or different times in that journey uh, where we're at where they may be in the very beginning where they're everything excites them and they like see something different every day they look online or they look in a magazine and so they want to see if they can keep that or not and so you know I was there. I was definitely there when I was a kid. I would see like, oh man, I really want this Brazilian rainbow bow. And I do a bunch of research and like, okay, it's not the right one for me. So I'd see something else. and I do a bunch of research. It's that excitable enthusiasm that we can either nurture and shape into someone who stays in the hobby for as long as they're meant to, 
or someone who gets soured by by us because you know we're just tired of helping people sometimes and we just got to step back and think about that where were we when we were at their stage in in the hobby yes because i i definitely was that one that asked way too many questions in the in the beginning like i said i learn from my experience don't don't be that person if you come at if you come at i think if you come at a breeder with with proof that you did some research and they're not having to answer every little thing for you it'll make that experience for you and them much easier and it it will not burn the breeder out answering questions all the time if those people coming to them have done some legwork yeah it's just easier to fine tune it rather than write someone's whole book you know exactly yeah, I can fix the little issues. I can't tell you. Don't don't message me. How do I keep this? I mean, look, there's a million different websites that will give you temperature, bedding, size of enclosure. Pinpoint the issue you're having, mm. and then I'm more than welcome to help you there. Exactly, because I mean, how many questions in our different groups that we're part of, where someone's having an issue with a new animal, or they just got an animal and they're having an issue, where literally the answer is just something's off on their husbandry. And that's yep. literally it's as simple as that is. Whatever the the thing needs to be changed, it's almost always something in that those parameters. It's the wrong heat, the wrong size enclosure. They're trying to handle it too much. Uh, you know those. You know the the tub doesn't have a correct size hide. You know whatever it is, that's almost always the answer. I feel. Agreed. I think I might be getting old because when people ask me questions through Messenger, sometimes I think to myself, well, I know I'm getting old, actually. But sometimes I think to myself, man, I wish they would just call me. It'd be so much easier. And I feel like. Uh, I never <laughs> think that ever. Yeah. Well, ever. you're old, too. So I, I am old. I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> this I'm this is like, the most I talk to people. This would, this would just go so much faster if you just called me. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like trying to, I don't know, be efficient with my time. And it's just the conversation goes for so long. Well, that's why I like it shows. It shows I can have a conversation and, and get yes. in detail. And and then when someone else walks up, I can start talking to them also. Like that's different. On a phone, I feel trapped sometimes. And then I have to come up with lies about why I have to go away. <laughs> so. Just say your cat's on fire and then hang up. <laughs> I could do that. There's nothing to catch on fire on your cat. You cut, there's no hair on it. <laughs> they have, she has peach fuzz. One of them has peach fuzz on her on her like hips. Okay, that seems way more personal than we need to hear about. Moving on, <laughs> Jessica said uh, she'd like to see more pre-purchase disease testing. It's common in other animal hobbies or businesses like horses and other livestock. Given the value of certain individuals, it needs to become the norm instead of an exception. And I agree to an extent. But it's common in horses because you're talking about thousands of dollars spent on a horse. It's not so common on a $40 king snake. Yeah, it's it's tougher for reptiles because most vets only get like a day on exotic animals. They, it's hard to find someone who would know really what to look for. And then a lot of times, a lot of these issues don't pop up until the animal is stressed, you know, i.e. transport. And and the most a, a a normal vet is going to do is a, a fecal float. And they're going to tell you if it has worms. That's yeah. I mean that's unfortunately that's I mean that's about it. If you're wanting any sort of true disease testing, it's out there, uh, but it does cost a little bit. And it, I mean it's a process. So I mean I get it if it's 
$2,000 snakes, $3,000 snakes. And I, and I understand people going, well, why put a price tag on health? Because it costs money. That's why I put a price tag on it. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's where quarantine pays. I mean, like, like you said, you've, you've got three different stages in quarantine in your house right now. Yes. Um, sorry, I'm laughing. I try to buy everything <laughs> in the group, so I have quarantine set in a big group. <laughs> well, my problem was, like, the rubber boas, they popped up, and whenever they pop up, you got to buy immediately. And then I just I, I ended go up, out in my backyard and find them. You know, shut up. So, <laughs> so the sambo that I'm getting tomorrow, I had to be that guy where like the guy posted a picture of a sambos that were just born, and I messaged him immediately. And I was like, I want to buy that one, and I felt like a dick being that guy because I hate when people do that to me. But I wasn't that guy going, oh, they were just born, wholesale all of them to me right now. I wasn't that guy, so I didn't feel as bad. Yeah, but did he still say, well, let's wait until it gets feeding, and then we'll talk? Because that's what I would say. No, I, t- I told us I when I messaged, I said, look, I know you're not selling them yet, because I know you want to get them fed first, because that's what I would do. I said, but I, I would like to know the sex of the one that I see, and how much you're going to be asking for it when it's ready. And he told me, I said, all right, get it eating, but I want it. So put my name on it. I want it. And he got it. It ate its third meal the other day. So... Uh, he's shipping it out. It'll be here tomorrow. Super excited. I won't put names on things until Monday. It is. It's a, it's a paint. It's an Annery paint, het albino, Samboa. And I'm super excited. Is it het paradox albino or albino? Albino. Okay. I do have some paradox stuff that I'm hoping goes this year. Uh, but I, I love high expression paradox albino stuff. Um, and, and that stuff's really fun because when you mix it with like striped jeans, it goes from giant blotches to itty bitty speckles all over it. Yep. I nerd out on snake genetics. Yeah. Uh, I still, re- I remember a couple ahead. times opening Samboa tub and like the tiniest male they'll eat like once every three months. Every now and then he just have like a, a sandworm moment and he would scare the crap out of me and he'd get the little tip of my finger and I'd pull my hand back and put my hands up and he'd be flinging across the room. I'd have to try and catch him. Yeah, that's why I don't reach into any tubs with my hands. That's so because, funny. Because those little bastards will jump out of there. Like, I mean, it's insane how fast the sausage can be. I just it's just silly that you jump. <laughs> oh, oh, picturing it and all. Then, well, that's great. Well, and they don't strike They don't strike forward. Like, anybody else that's, like, dealing with this thing that S's up and strikes and lunges at you, that's not what you get with Samboas. Nope. It's no. from the side or from behind. Like, it's <laughs> – and they're fast, fast as hell. They really are. <laughs> and yeah, tiny a, little things still... that they make you jump. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I jump all the time. And people are like, it's just a sambo. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't feel like getting bit. I'm like, my biggest female is two and a half foot. It's still going to hurt. This was this was a little male that was about eight inches long. And he still scared like the bit. crap out of me. Those little bastards can get you in the soft spots. It's hilarious. <laughs> they can get you in between the fingers around the soft, or like right underneath the nails. Yeah. Oh, have you that ever noticed when you feed Ooh. them, like they always like bite like right on over the face of the mouse? Like they're like crazy accurate. Well, they're really good. Yeah. Now I have had some that will eat it ass first because they don't give a shit. I, oh. That's one thing I always tell people. Sambo is like they're feeding once they're eating. Their feeding response is amazing, unless it's a male and it's breeding season, and then their her feeding response is non-existent. Pretty much. That's how you always know when males are ready to breed. They just quit eating. Uh, our buddy Ryan Cox said he would like to see 
the normalization of reptiles, then the spread of good info and podcast. Our hobby is doomed to die if we don't bring more people in and show them the right way. I agree. And I think, I honestly think where we're at now is so much better than where we were at in 2003 when I got into it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I would agree. Reptiles as a whole, well, and reptiles as a whole are not now only seen as dudes with tattoos riding bikes owning a snake. Like, that's not, that's what it was before. But now it's so many families like having a bearded dragon or a leopard gecko or, you know, or a corn snake. So, yeah, you, exactly. you, you've got a herp society up there. So you see that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, when I was a, well, I started going to the Herb Society meetings when I had my learner's permit so I could drive to the meeting. I think I was 15. And um, I was so excited because I wanted Rosie Boa so bad. And the meeting before my first meeting I ever went to, somebody had a litter of Rosie Boas they gave away to members. And I just missed it. And Damn. I was just like so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, they give away Rosie Boas at these things. I got to come all the time. <laughs> I'm going to go to uh, every single one. <laughs> yeah. And it's but never no, happened again. You know, as a kid, like through junior high, you know, you tell kid people you like snakes and stuff. Oh, you get made fun of and you don't feel normal. You you were pretty much excluded from the in crowd because you like snakes. You like reptiles. They made fun of you. And then all of a sudden you attended this meeting where there's all these people that are older and they got these cool animals you've never seen unless you looked in the magazines back then. And then like all of a sudden you feel accepted and you feel like there's like these giants in your community you didn't know existed that can show you all these cool things and teach you things. And it was just the most awesome thing. And it just like, it always helped me, uh, you know, feel good about my choice to pursue reptiles because podcasts didn't exist. YouTube wasn't around. You had reptiles magazines. You had a handful of books and then uh, you really had, if you're lucky to have shows you, and then you had your herb societies. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, well, I mean, look at, I think it's becoming more normalized because just look at the classroom pet, okay? And just in general, as a kid, the classroom pet was a hamster, guinea pig, or if they had a reptile, it was a teacher with like a radio slider that a kid got to take home every summer and then eventually would die or whatever. But now I've seen so many teachers with, with reptiles. I mean, my wife alone has a Brazilian horned frog, a leopard gecko, a corn snake, and a bearded dragon all in her classroom. And so, Every kid that goes to her class gets to see these, and they they become less weird to that kid. They they don't grow up with this idea of this thing that's only seen on TV or in the wild, and it's super weird. It, it becomes normalized to them because they see it every day. And you see that with a lot of teachers. I see a lot of teachers that are starting to have these these different reptiles and stuff as pets in the classroom, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and they're also way easier to take care of than like a hamster or a rat. And they smell a lot less. Oh, man. Yeah, they smell way better. So much easier. Yeah, like if, there's a, if school's out for a week, you're good. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not that bad. Yeah. So I, I think we're getting there. I think I agree that the hobby would be doomed to die if we don't bring more people in. But I think we are bringing more people in. I, I think and – and I think it's working out. I mean I see it at shows, at the Herp shows. I see a giant variety of people that come through those doors. And yes, you get people that are there just because it's like it's like going to a zoo. But you also, like I said, you get the the mom and their kids who are buying their first corn snake, which is not what you would normally picture if you were just getting into the hobby. You wouldn't picture some suburban mom buying her kid a corn snake, but it happens all the time. And so right. it, I it's remember, becoming... uh, 
Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember I really wanted a corn snake for my first snake. And we went to Petco to get me one. And the lady talked my mom out of getting me a corn snake because she said they got big enough to eat our cats. So I ended up with two leopard geckos. God, At least what you a... got something. Yeah, but damn. <laughs> Could you imagine a corn snake big enough to eat a cat? That's either got to be a super small cat or a gigantic corn snake. Yeah, it'd be pretty just big imagine, corn snake. Just imagine corn snakes the size of boas. That sounds way cooler. It, it does. <laughs> be a lot of color. I want but man, one. just that, that big and want to move. Basically, it's a creepo. Never one more time. It's a creepo. They they exist. <laughs> Giant colubrids. So uh, Jeff said more research done on where the species that we keep are from and their particular habits and behavior. Also, patients from keepers of all levels in the end were all in this hobby together, which are things that we've, we've said. I mean, we agree that needs to be more. We talked about the UV light. More research about what's going on with your species, where it's located. It's daily life, not just a snapshot of when someone was there and took a picture of the area and go, this is where it lives. Um, and then again, we, we've got, and, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of it, but we've got to be more patient with people, uh, with newcomers and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, it's, you it's should hard. stop being an asshole. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. Same. Look, I, here's the thing. I'm an asshole, but I'm also willing to help. There's a difference. There are assholes that are just straight assholes. I know. I'm an asshole because I enjoy it. You're a curved asshole. I'm good asshole. at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Did you what? put it on your resume? <laughs> at the top. <laughs> and glitter. Uh, Ryan Goslow said, "Focusing more on your own animals before anything else. They are the most important part of the hobby." I, I, I see. I think. So where I see that is. The people that get into the hobby, they get an animal, and then they want another animal, and they want another animal. But they don't want, like, they're not taking the time to learn the one they already have. Or they get one, and they sell one, and they get one, and they sell one, and they get one, and they sell one. That, too. I can't say that I'm I'm not not, guilty of doing that. But that's not, I'm not horribly upset with that, because sometimes it's like test driving a car. You, You may think, look, someone may see one of your blood pythons at a show and go, that's awesome. I want that. And they get it and realize... That doesn't do it for me. Just sits in a tub and it doesn't really move. Mm-hmm. And then they sell it. And I I get that. Um, I get that more than the again the person who wanted to get a, a Savannah monitor, and then the next week they got a corn snake, and the next week because Craigslist had a red tail, full grown red tail boa on it, they picked up a red tail boa, and then and they and they basically built their collection off of Craigslist and whatever they found cheap at a show. I think Been there. one thing that we can do to help, like. Uh... Oh, empower or nurture that is that some people, I think, get these new animals now with social media, and that new animal gives them a status, gets them attention because they can show off this new acquisition that they just got. And they ride that endorphin rush because all the attention they got for this new animal is this new shiny thing. Where instead of giving them attention for that stuff, you know, really encourage and and, uh, try and give props and attention to people who are really furthering the husbandry for the animals they currently have or animals that they've kept long-term. I mean, that's what we, I mean, you can't make anyone do that, but I think that's where we really got to stop uh, like, Oh, that's awesome. Good job. Nice. Like, uh, I mean, not that I don't post new animals that I have, but I don't get new animals just for attention. I get them because I think they'll fit into a future plan. I have down the road. I have a vision on what I'm trying to do with 
certain animals and i'm going to take them out of a tub when they're adults and rub them together and hope for eggs so <laughs> well but the problem is people like you and april and myself aren't the ones that are gooing all over their brand new animal picture every week it, it's the general public and they're feeding off that it's the same with these youtube people it's the general public it's not the true hobby and so i think that's that that's the problem there is and, and I, don't, I, think, I don't think we can stop that no and i think we're getting a, a false impression on, on sometimes on what reptile keeping is because of the uh overly enthusiastic and exaggerated personalities that can be on youtube not all of them and they see this uh, blown up proportion attention to the animals when they get them and they think that's what reptile keeping is is this uh, you know you get all this intention and approval from getting the new animal and it's all over the top and that's why they keep getting new ones but. agreed <laughs> i'm just trying to read some of those uh i read sean's already lance kirkman said uh let's see people getting their heads out of their ass and invest in their animals i mean i'd prefer to try and see someone fit their head in their ass honestly um quit pretending that the short game has any viability. You need to buy babies and raise them up. Learn your animals. Breeding is not the end all solution. Quit pretending you are more than the veteran. You quit pretending you more, more than the, I'm assuming no you more. Are so more. Oh, maybe are, no more. No, yeah. it says more, more uh, quit acting like, the, uh, like what they have to say lacks value. You're only scaring them away. Uh, all those things we've kind of hit on so far. Uh, I, I agree. You definitely see people that come into the hobby, and when someone like Tracy tells them something, they uh, they act like she doesn't know anything. Like not not Tracy in particular, but that you know that kind of person that carries that kind of clout. I think it's always hilarious when someone gets upset when they offer advice. Right. I'm like, you should probably listen to them. I think that goes kind of back to what like Ryan tells me when I tell him thank you. I'm not trying to name drop, but he's a really nice guy, and uh, the he likes to help people who want to be helped. Sometimes people ask you the question, but they really don't want the help. They just want to say they asked for help and no one helped them. Well, they, they do want help, but they only want the help that is exactly what goes along with what they really want to do. Exactly right. They need validation. They're, they don't they don't actually need help. They just need validation. And if you don't give it to them, you're wrong until they find the person that does give it to them. Yep. So uh, I like Roy A. Long's, uh, Roy A. Lang's answer. Uh, he would like to see more cowbell. I agree. You can always use more cowbell. That's what uh, cured my coronavirus. <laughs> more cowbell. I mean, got a fever. So, Sean Michael said for everyone to realize there isn't the only there isn't the only way to keep X Y Z species. All right, guys, I'm gonna need y'all to start spelling. I mean, I suck at this, but just just <laughs> just read over whatever before you hit send. Read over shit. I already sound dumb enough trying to read y'all stuff. I don't need your help. But uh, for everyone to realize that there's their way isn't the only way. Way isn't the only way. To, okay, I read oh that one wrong gosh. the first. I don't. Anyways, we're good. Oh I agree. God. We've said we've talked about that already. There's not a cookie cutter way for all this stuff. There's gotta, not one way to skin a cat. I no, think the, one the best way to skin a cat is to take a uh, air compressor, and then you put a basketball needle on the end of the air compressor, and then you put it just underneath the skin. And then you inflate it, and it separates the skin from the muscle, and it's much easier to peel off. The same can be said for snakes, too. That is true. <laughs> I mean, that's – anyway, out there going, oh, that's messed up. Uh, I was a biology major, 
and I've skinned a cat, and doing it without doing it that way is a fucking nightmare. I did it without doing it that way. And it sucks, doesn't it? It took a long time. I feel really uncomfortable. This is not a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we digress. So, Jesus Christ, I found somebody who wrote more than Scott Eifer. All right. Reggie Raven said, more honesty and less selling for the easy sell or the quick buck. Okay, so that just has brings up from something we talked about last week. So I've since talked to Lori uh, about her situation. Oh, was it Lori that had the egg? It was Lori that had the egg eaters, right? I need your help no. here, April. It was not Lori. Sorry, my cats are being crazy. No, it was, it was not. Oh, it was Lori. It was, I'm sorry. It was Ellen yep. threw me off. Lavissa. She, she messaged us. I talked to Lavissa earlier today. I apologize, yes. Lori. Lavissa is the L's threw me off. She's the one that got the random egg eater thrown into her bag when she bought the uh, leopard gecko. Uh, I didn't realize guy... that was so, such a, a recent occurrence. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the guy just wanted to get rid of it, so he threw it in. She didn't rise until she got home. Uh, there was a happy ending. There, she sent a video earlier of it actually eating eggs, and it's doing well. Uh, but that's I st- I'm still amazed. That's That's insane. I mean, I don't. We don't really have shows up here much in, in Idaho, especially with everything going on. But are egg eaters at shows now? Apparently, at this one, and the guy had no idea what to do with them, and was basically giving them away without knowing you were getting one. Like she, she talked to him about it, thought it was cool. She got home, opened the bag that because he had bagged up her leopard gecko and some like feeders or something, and then there was a egg eater. Dude, I'd be so pissed. There's a huge difference between a leopard gecko and an egg-eating snake. Well, there's a huge difference between going, I think that's a cool snake, and, oh, shit, I own this snake now. Seriously, that that just disappoints me. Huh. So I don't even know what to think well, of luckily, that. I don't, even, I don't even know what I would do. i just go, what? <laughs> right? Go just I have, uh... Now I'm a... I'm afraid to tell folks I like their animals. Jesus Christ. Wait, <laughs> I maybe I need to tell certain people about certain animals. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has rubber boas. I love your rubber boas. They're amazing. <laughs> see, see, see if that works. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to, she had, Lavissa had sent me the message earlier. And she sent the video earlier. The egg eater is doing well. It's eating eggs. Uh, she sent a video of it eating. It's kind of cool. Um, I did ask her because I know that, like, there's several different types, but this is the one that regurgitates. She says she hasn't seen it regurgitate the eggshell yet. Uh, but I would totally love to see a video of it just spitting the eggshell back out. How fascinating. That's got to be the weirdest damn thing. Yeah. I'm just like imagining like figuring out it's such a, I mean, they're not really that common now. They're more common, but like you, you get this random thing in the bag and I'm guessing the bag wasn't labeled in which species it was. So she had to look at it and identify it first, right? Yeah, well, she, she, she was at the show. She was at the show. She saw the egg eaters on the guy's table. He apparently had had a clutch of them. Um, and apparently they weren't eating that well. He didn't want to take them home with him. And uh, she said she liked it, whatever. And so she bought. A, she ended up buying a leopard gecko and some feeders. She went out to go load a tank that she had bought from someone else, came back. He had it all bagged up, ready for her. She took it home. She opened the bag, took out the leopard gecko, took out the feeders. And there at the bottom was was the uh, egg eater. Huh. So, yeah. Insane. So At least it wasn't a hog nose. <laughs> You don't like hog noses? I'm afraid of them. They're venomous. Against hog noses. They are. They are venomous. Yeah, I honestly. I'm gonna be the one person that has a bad reaction. 
and die. Yeah. I've I've seen a bad I've seen a bad reaction and it's gross. I mean, not like bad enough to like like they went to the hospital, but bad enough that it had giant pus filled boils on their arm and it swole up from their wrist all the way up to their shoulder. That's honestly that's why I'm going to sell my beak snakes. Oh my For those of you who don't know, I'm selling my beak snakes because I don't want to get bit again and have a worse reaction than I already had. Because I didn't have a bad reaction, but the it wasn't. Voice the second one can be worse. Exactly. You always hear sometimes so, the second. Is, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like you know what? I'm too old to mess with this, and I realize my limits, and so those guys will be going to a good home. If anyone's interested, please let me know. Plug right there. So. Reggie also said, clearly label what you're selling and be honest. For example, if you're willing to breed locality animals, such as boas, with morphs, then have the bollocks. Okay, Reggie must not be from mm. America. Have the bollocks to stand and say, that's what you're doing, and label it as such. Label it the percentage locality. I So I've gone through phases in my life where I was like, uh, hybrids are horrible. They're okay. I think I'm at the, I'm at the just do whatever the fuck you want to point in my life. But... <laughs> With like what Reggie said, if you're gonna do whatever the fuck you want, make sure other people know what you did also. Well, like it, that's hard to say though, because super hard. It only takes the second or third person who got that animal. If you're upfront about it, they don't. Maybe they weren't honest when they sold it to the next person, the person after that. And let's say the hybrid you did was hard to identify. Well, they just screwed up a gene pool. Yep, nailed I agree. it. But with that said. If you're truly, and I've said it before, if you truly are into a certain gene pool or locality, you're not picking it up from the random person that got a snake third or fourth hand. Like if if, if I wanted some, you know, well, dwarf boa fine. locality stuff, I'm probably going to go to Warren Booth, and I know Warren Booth knows exactly what he has in his snakes. Well, let's just well, say you live you up here something? in Idaho, and we just got the internet, and we don't know anything <laughs> about this. <laughs> There's more to life than potatoes. Oh my gosh. How close is the nearest potato farm to you? I, I have no idea. They are all over. How can you not know it's that? Not they, that's, it's got to be labeled there's everywhere. Not, there's not really potato farms everywhere. There's like uh, just, there's a lot of farming in general. So there's like lots of cattle, lots of corn. Uh, we have a sugar beet factory here where they turn beets into sugar, I, I guess. It smells bad. Life has lied to me. Life told me that Idaho. It's full of potatoes, and there's potatoes, just, but they're not—they're not in town necessarily. I live in like the largest city in in Boise, in Idaho. You say the largest city. You live in the city in Idaho, pretty much. That's All the other ones are like uh, I dare a family anyone, has a post office. I dare anyone not in a state surrounding Idaho to name another city in Idaho. I, I can't. I can name. I can name Boise, and that's only because there's a college there with a blue field. That's the only reason I even know that it exists. That's the other thing we're known for. Blue fields and potatoes. Yep. Uh, anyways, back to me still trying to finish Reggie's uh, thing here. Uh, it would also be good to see more of a shift towards finding out and knowing the lineage of your animals you buy. I can see that with certain things. That's so hard, uh, too. I've tried. Well, I still is. am continuing trying. <laughs> I'm, but see, and that also depends on the person. Like, I'm at a point where, like, I guess for the animals I'm, I work with, lineage is not a huge issue for me. It doesn't, it's it just doesn't cool really bother for me. me. I'm like a it, geek about I, it, and I just like to see where my animals came from and 
the different generations and what each pairing did to, you know, look wise to generate what I have. And then you can see if you, you have genetics that are worth building upon or not building upon or that that's where I go with it. And I think that's the thing with a hobby is that there's, there's a piece for everything. There's the people that like that. There's people like me who just, I just want pretty snakes and I want to make pretty snakes. And yeah, I do that too, but no, I know I'm not saying, you know, but I'm saying, I just I want to play with genetics. That's all I want to do. I want I want to see what how fucked up I can make this snake look from being normal. April like sticks up for her snakes. My snakes are pretty too. My snakes are pretty. <laughs> damn it! My dirt brown snakes are pretty. No, mine are red. Uh, some of them. Third thing, man, Reggie was busy. Uh, would be a way for genuine, quality, respected rescue centers to get, and they are definitely British. God, the way they spell centers to get greater support from the hobby. There's some organization. Okay, that can't be a British thing. Do, do British people really put an S in the middle of organizations? I have no earthly idea, James. I mean, <laughs> I went there for one year of school when I was like five. I don't remember. There's some organizations out there, such as the Midlands Giant Snake Rescue in the UK, that spend all of their own free time driving around the country collecting snakes that, that need rescuing, and they do it out of their own pocket. So I a way to better support these people other than donations from a few is a, is well overdue. I think the yeah. problem is finding good rescues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think exactly right. They're not all que- created equal. Maybe they had good intent in the beginning, but it's how they continue to follow through. The uh, society I'm part of, we don't have like a center, but we have like a hotline and a network of people who take in animals for foster or permanent homes. And uh, when I was younger, that's all I did. I didn't really have much for consistent animals. I pretty much just got free animals I needed to foster, or and then I would find them their permanent home. And uh, I just would have like a cycle of all, always incoming and outgoing animals all the time. And uh, it's kind of nice to not do that now. <laughs> yeah, well, no kidding. The problem is you have some of these people that say they're a rescue when in all reality they're just a flipper all you gotta do is ask for their uh their non-profit status and then their their actual number for their non-profit your state your state actually should have a list for everyone who is actually a true non-profit and you can search it and find them and you can find if their paperwork's uh, lapsed or if it's ever existed to begin with so basically what you're saying is you're not legitimate unless you have a non-profit you're a registered non-profit I mean, that's how I look at it. But you know. I mean, I think that's great. No, <laughs> that I definitely that. I mean, filters through very easily and quickly. Like, it's legitimate and who's just. Well, you're not or just because you're a person who has a bunch of empty tanks and you're willing to take in animals or somebody. I don't think technically makes you a rescue. No, or if that, you buy all the animals from Petco, you're not a rescue. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Not, that drives me fucking nuts. You have never, no one has ever rescued an animal from a pet store if you I paid for it. I triggered him. Oh my I, goodness. I agree, I hate, dude. I, hate I knew that. we were going to come across this. <laughs> you didn't rescue that animal. You paid them for it. They went and bought another animal. You're part of the problem. Exactly. Smack yourself in the face. Not all these stores have the equal amount of passionate staff or. Uh, well-informed staff, so they have to understand that. But, like, if we talk about, like, you know, PetSmart, Petco, they generally have a very large, almost unlimited amount of money they can spend on their animals sending them to vets. 
Taking them home and saying you rescued them on Facebook is kind of a load of crap. Yeah, honestly, if you see a sick animal at a at PetSmart or Petco, tell the staff you think it's sick. Now, I'm not saying they'll all do this, but a one that's ran by a decent manager and a decent pet care manager will pull that animal off and they'll take it to the vet. Because when I worked at PetSmart, we took fucking hamsters to the vet because they had runny diarrhea. And I'm like, it's a fucking hamster. And well, I know that sounds heartless. Your, was your cure-all for everything usually Batril? Yeah, usually Batril. Give them Batril. <laughs> One of my snakes has burns on her because my vet gave me Batril and didn't tell me to dilute it. So now she has three burns. More more Batril will fix that. That's my ivory. It's my T-negative ivory. It's so sad. Yeah, you've got to be careful of Batril and the injection near the skin. If you let it uh, set or or you inject it too close to the skin, you'll get those burns. Yep, it was gross. I don't have a degree in veterinary medicine, but the two medicines I know are Batril and Panicure. Those two things will fix whatever issue you've got. <laughs> or at least that's how it seems. But yes, don't. If you tell them, they usually pull it off the floor, and and they'll honestly they'll take they'll take green anoles, little like seven dollar green anoles to the vet. Why? Because they have to, yeah. and they'll do it. I've seen it. I've I've seen it happen. And trust me, I love lizards, but I'm thinking. Are we seriously taking a seven dollar green? Really, well, honestly, like a dollar fifty green and old when you talk about how much they paid for it or less to the vet. They'll do it. You know, and I gotta say it. Like uh, at towards the end of high school, I was working there, and afterwards, it was kind of like the wild west of reptile ordering back then. And like we got the weirdest stuff. A lot of us wild caught, and between the the herp society and the stuff that we got. And then the stuff at PetSmart and having to do the vet care with them all, I learned so much about what to do, what not to do, what works well, what doesn't, uh, by having a really good vet who was actually part of the Herb Society who went on to be our local zoo veterinarian. So I had like a really awesome asset in my back pocket. I'm fortunate enough to where, I mean, I'm not a vet, but I can see what happens with some animals sometimes, whether it's mine or someone else. And I'm like, oh, this is probably what you should do. If you take it to the vet, there's a good chance they're going to tell you to give it Batril. And that's probably not the best course. Usually less is more with a lot of these species. Oh, I also forgot the other cure-all. Uh, anything on the outside, was it silver sulfidine or whatever it is? Okay, uh, I have a jar of that. All right. <laughs> so do I, and it does work pretty well. It I does. Know, it's, all you need is Batril, Panicure, and, and silver sulfidine. You'll be good. I was happy to find honey? a website where I could order that without a prescription. Oh, you will have to give me that website because I actually really like that stuff for topical things. So, by no, by no means, anybody out there go, they said I could fix all my animals. Don't do that. Please don't. That's not. <laughs> find you a vet. But, you know, if you, if, you, if you can, find a really good vet who is you know interested or experienced with exotics if you can't work a relationship with them so that way if you have questions or you have concerns you can bounce ideas off of them and they can talk to you about it too that's really the most invaluable thing luckily i had it when i was younger i do not know like a single vet in the area right now but so if you're in the memphis area dr nation is amazing so just letting you know for be sure to drive down to memphis (laughs) <laughs> yes and you can visit me on the way <laughs> what is i'm trying to remember all right yeah it's a if you're trying to find a vet 
go to arav.org and you can find a reptile vet hopefully near or somewhere within driving distance of you these are uh true like certified reptile vets not my cousin took the ball python to this vet and he helped him one time it's not that kind of vet there's people who more like specialize in it because there's some people like like kyle was saying earlier right like they only have a very, very tiny little chapter in their book, so to speak, on reptiles, where people that really specialize in them, they, they do their um, their extra training that they have to do on reptiles. They, they go to different symposiums and stuff and, and really dive into it and really know their stuff, so... Yeah, and I'm not I'm not downplaying vets that don't know reptiles. I mean, because dogs and cats no. pay the bills. Yeah, so like, I totally get that. That is... Uh, and and a good a good vet will tell you that they 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 don't know. Oh yes, gosh. People that try to wing it. I used to work for a vet that would literally go into his office and start looking up stuff on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. At least he's not signed. even kidding. <laughs> the inside of your animal doesn't look like the one I saw on YouTube. I mean at school. Yeah, it was real bad. Didn't appreciate that man, but that's okay. <laughs> The last one on here I've got is Brandon Millchamp from the Canadian Herpetoculture Podcast. Canada. Uh, Canada. I still haven't gotten my uh, maple syrup yet, Brandon. Hey. What's that, a boot? Uh, all a boot. <laughs> I-, I want maple syrup and a moose, damn it. <laughs> I want you to ride down here on a moose and give me my maple syrup. And don't bring any of that Canadian Ooh. bacon slash ham. You keep that shit up there. Oh, man. Canadian. need to watch that movie. Which one? Canadian Bacon. Canadian Bacon? Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, people, he would like to see people new and more experienced, more open to new scientific information. I think new science and information can overwhelm some people. Yeah, it's very hard when, when the new science is only in like a peer-reviewed paper. That's, that's hard for the general public to read. And I went to school and had to read lots of peer-reviewed papers, and it's still fucking hard for me to read some of them. Yep. Like, I appreciate all the time that went into that, but I think every peer-reviewed paper needs to have one guy who knows how to write the dummies version of that. Like the clip. And send that out to everybody else. Yeah, she means like, this is what it's actually saying, and here are the important parts in normal everyday talk. Yeah, and they need to include a lot of pictures, please. Lots of pictures, (laughs) please. Really, honestly, just pictures, and if you really want to, I will accept it in pop-up form. I'll just take it in a a C and say, I'll be cool. (laughs) Can I get it in the, uh, oh shit, why can I not think of the one where you click the little thing and it's got the, oh, you looked up at the light. It was red. Viewmaster. I just need a Viewmaster. I am impressed you even knew the name of that. Like, who, what? Am I dating myself? I used to love Viewmasters. (laughs) I mean, that was, that was, I know because we didn't have iPhones and all this you were hot shit as a five-year-old if you had a Viewmaster and, like, a whole sleeve of the different uh, movie scenes. Uh, that was our version of, like, a personal DVD player. Oh, life was so much easier. Uh, what were you talking oh, about? <laughs> at this point, I don't fucking know. Uh, I do know You're that on our weekly post. You're talking about peer papers. Peer-reviewed papers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they are very important. But seriously, um, if you could just get somebody to animate it into a cartoon, that would probably be better. I'll take Pop that. Pop-up book. 
<laughs> I'd love a pop-up with like little little tabs so you can move it back and forth. Some someone listen like some like uh Travis right now who is an academic is listening right now going, "The fuck is wrong with y'all?" Nothing, Travis. You know what's wrong with like, Travis? No I haven't gotten any cookies. <laughs> Travis needs to, Travis needs to send me some baked goods. Uh, I think Sean McCarthy posted on the wrong one, but he also said, "Would be super nice that one day all the ignorance associated with snakes will disappear." Says his IQ drops every time I read a post when it has something to do with snakes. Yeah, that's not going to happen, Sean, because people are stupid. It's I mean, the human race as a whole, we're pretty fucking stupid. You know, so. I can understand when people are have a fear of stuff. I actually was afraid of snakes, like. I did not like them. I, they freaked me out. But I got fascinated by looking at a reptiles magazine and see all the colors. So I started doing research and reading and then exposed myself more and more. And then that fascination, basically, an education overwhelmed my lack of knowledge and my fear of the animal. I mean, so I'd like to say I can't understand how people can have an irrational fear, but I fully understand irrational fears. I don't go in the water. I can't. Any like I go in a pool. I'll go in a I hot don't know tub. what's in the ocean. I don't know what's gonna swallow me and eat my toes. Hell no. Well, there's shit out there that's faster than me. Oh, and yeah. it's got teeth. I'm telling you, I went kayaking once, I got that's stuck not on irrational. A... My fear of butterflies is irrational. That's fucking irrational. Yeah. You have <laughs> butterflies? I really Are you don't kidding like me? them. Oh, I we're really, gonna really don't like oh, them. We're gonna find a butterfly garden somewhere and we're gonna get you over this shit. No, I mean it's I can deal, but there was at one point I was on a hike in college, and a butterfly flew into my face, and I screeched, and they thought like a bear came in my path or something. <laughs> you oh are God. really afraid of butterflies? Yeah, I don't really, I don't, not so much anymore. Um, I'm the okay with them. The rooms that you stay in are they padded? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's as bad like, as oh, that's what that is. I had a friend in high school and I found more people since then. She had a fear of frogs. I'm like, how the fuck are you afraid of frogs? I mean, they pee on you. <laughs> yeah, that's they it. do. <laughs> that's the only defense. There's no other defense. That they, only don't, defense. They, don't, they don't run after you and attack you. No one's ever been like murdered by it. Like no one's had a frog come after them in their sleep oh, and kill them. Dude, do you remember that like 80s? I think it's late 70s or 80s horror for, uh, film and it's like frogs. Like they yes, just like overwhelm everything. Are you serious, James? You I, have it on DVD. I love horror B, like bad horror. I, I may have it on VHS. I love uh, B movies, like bad horror movies. Um, there was that. There was also Squirm. Squirm was like these marine worms. There was worms that were killing people. Uh, Day of the Triffids, which was uh, alien plants killing people. I love that. Do you shit. remember Killer uh, Killer Tomatoes? Yes, yeah. those fucking <laughs> hilarious. bouncing down the road. That was hilarious. I'm, attack of the killer tomato i got now i got to see that again but no i i I, uh, I went kayaking once and i got stuck on a cypress route in the middle of the lake and uh, it went right up in the scupper hole of my kayak and yeah a logical person would have jumped in for a second pushed it off got back in the kayak and went away but me knowing that i live in louisiana and there's tons of shit in there that could bite me i wasn't going in i was on that cypress route for a good hour and a half so in your mind, when you're looking down there, what are you th- thinking of that you're afraid of? Is it the snapping turtle? Is alligators. Because uh, I know that. And people will go, well, you're afraid. I'm not afraid of alligators. I was a zookeeper. 
I love crocodilians. I've worked with them. I just know that in the water, in the water, they're better than than I am. You're like, I'm in their house. Yeah. So I, I'm like texting my dad. He's like, just jump in and push it off. I was like, no, because what are you going to do? I was like, I live here now. This is, <laughs> this is my home in the middle of this lake. And finally, I got up enough courage to walk to the front of my kayak, stand up and get to the front and like, just like rocket off into the next scupper hole and then rocket off. And I was finally loose. I'm like, time to go home. I'm done for can the you, day. Can you tell me what a scupper hole is? It's the hole. So you have sit in kayaks. I don't do a sit in kayak. That's stupid. They fill up with water. They sink. Or you have sit on kayaks where you sit on a seat and they have holes that go through the, the top all the way through to the bottom. So that if you get water on top of the kayak, it flows right back out into the pond or like the drain. Okay. And that's, that's and a, so, okay. And so this is better. It's called a scupper hole. And uh, the cypress roots, the knee was just skinny enough to fit right inside of one. <laughs> and I, I was, I, I'm telling you, I, Every thought in my mind, like, I, I, of course, thought you could just jump in and push it off here. And then the other part of my mind is like, are you fucking crazy? There's shit in this water. You cannot get off this kayak. <laughs> and that side won. That was the side that won that argument. So I did not get off. And I, I finally pushed it off like an hour, hour and a half later. I mean, uh, if I'm being honest, I can't say that I blame you, honestly. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. I would have been so scared like, if I did decide to jump in that water. I would have been so I scared. Have, I have no problem kayaking in Louisiana knowing the alligators. I find it hilarious in a lot of my kayaking fishing groups when people from the north go, well, what do y'all do about the alligators? Uh, nothing. We just fish. Well, I could never fish around alligators. Then you would never fish in Louisiana. It's like every ditch has an alligator. They're like this, They're everywhere. The other day I went fishing and I saw like an eight-foot alligator. And it was, it was probably it was about midday. I was almost ready to go in. And I was about to go in this one little spot. And there's this eight-foot alligator sitting in the middle. I was like, Ah, it's time to go home now <laughs> he, he, he can have this but like you can't not i i do know i i accidentally joined a group once it was new south wales kayak fishing i don't know how like i don't know why i did but it was an australian group and i messaged them once i said so what do y'all do about salties like oh yeah we don't kayak there <laughs> that makes sense yeah because they're huge they're, they're bigger than you <laughs> so Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's my irrational. I, I say it's irrational, but I have I have plenty of rationality behind it. There's shit in the water. Like I don't go in the ocean. There's sharks. They're faster than be like you're more likely to get. I don't give a shit what I'm more likely to get bit or attacked or hit by. I know that there's a chance a shark could bite me if I'm in the water. There's a zero Even in rivers, chance. You watch for the bull sharks. I think it is swim up river. Yes. Yeah. That's there's a zero percent chance they can bite me if I'm not in the water. <laughs> so. I don't know. You, I'm sure you are uh, uh, familiar with the accredited uh, nature documentary Sharknado. Sharknado? Yes, that's true. Oh, I'm in Louisiana, so we'd have to worry about shark hurricanes. <laughs> oh, fucking people. Oh, anyways, that, that was we spent like an hour on just that question. So that was a good. I, I like that question. That was a pretty good question. Uh, I do want to. I do want to get to uh, the Idaho herpetological society because i don't actually have like i'm there may be a herpetological society in louisiana but it's nowhere near me and so i just kind of started a uh, a facebook group and a local like club and like i said we put on a couple events here or there we used to have meetings back when people could have meetings uh but yeah we haven't done that in a long time that sounds basically like the beginnings of a society truthfully without any legal paperwork or uh board structure going on yes um 
I think, you know, the Idaho Herpetological Society was founded in 1987 um, by a gentleman by the name of Frank Lumberg, who passed away uh, this last December. Um, he was a really good guy. I mentioned that first meeting I went to, and they're talking about the Rosie Bows. The other thing that happened that really captured me at the meeting was uh, Frank giving a really passionate uh, speech uh, about gopher snakes, which are also, you know, uh, native up here. And then towards the end of the speech, he was just so passionate, but, uh, uh, he started to tear up and it, and I've never forgotten it. It's been 20. Oh God. How old am I? Uh, 22 years now since I saw that. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think he was my friend. Um, not as close as I, I would have liked to have been, uh, with him. But over the years, you know, we did have conversations and I was able to get him to come back out and present at the the meetings. But, you know, I think there's so much to the ability to nurture someone's curiosity and passion and uh, get them really involved in their local uh, society, their local events and uh, community, um, whether it be maybe there is a need for someone to help with uh, unwanted animals whether it be a need for education and outreach for people to go to schools. I mean, I know I do remember when I lived in Texas, a lady coming in with an alligator and a whole bunch of turtles. Uh, I never forgot that. Um, I've always been fascinated by the reptiles, mostly by turtles and frogs uh, more than anything. But, you know, it's just these different things, these key points in, in those in my life that made me more intrigued and more interested in what was going on with the animals and wanting to learn more about more of the species out there. And I think that's a instrumental thing that we can all play with everybody, where it be online, uh, whether it be uh, YouTube is a new platform, but I really love the local community outreach because we all have unique and different things going on in our community and different needs in our communities too. So, do y'all do any like sort of big events, yearly big events prior to this year, or is there anything that y'all other um, than like uh meetings and all? Yeah, we did like monthly meetings, so we'd have either a topic or guest speakers or, or mini events going on, and then the different people that do a lot of outreach. I used to do it when I was younger. I pretty much stopped doing it um, when I came back to the society a few years ago. Um, it, they'd go to schools, they'd go to uh, fairs, we'd have a booth. We would go to um, our local expos, like where it's like the Children's Expo or the Pet Expo. You know, we set up a table there and our, our volunteers, our members who volunteer their time, they donate their time and they donate the, uh, I mean, in a better way to put it really is that they donate the stress they put on their animals by, uh, you know, exposing them to people to help you know, you know, maybe change your minds on not being afraid to show that, you know, this is a native species. It's okay. This is not a native species. And it's really fascinating because of these crazy colors, um, you know, that's, that's really something that's just, uh, invaluable to people is that exposure. And, you know, I really appreciate everyone who takes the time out to do all these, uh, demonstrations and shows for everybody. And that, you know, takes the time out of their day away from their family and donates it to help uh, educate other people uh, is very valuable. 
I, uh, I've thought about doing a society as like I said, it's, there's more involved. And like we, we, we were having monthly meetings, but it would usually end up being three of us that showed up every month. And, and then every now and then like a, a fourth or fifth one randomly, it would, it would not, it wouldn't always be the same person. So it's very hard because in central Louisiana, there's not much, um, I would like yeah. to get to that point where it's bigger, but it's just not right now. It really, you know, when I was a little bit younger, I had more ability uh, to donate more time to it. You know, the society, you know, at different points, it goes up and down because these type of groups are what you make it. Uh, what type of time and thought do you spend into wanting to grow or come up with new programs, uh, you know, expand the, the exposure of your group? Um, so, you know, there was a period where I came back into the society and there wasn't hardly anyone showing up to meetings except for the same few core group of people. And, uh, it was kind of almost dwindling. So, you know, you know, at the time I, uh, had a smaller car and I worked at uh, a printing place. So I started making up all these flyers. I took them to all the pet stores all around local, not, I was like, if you're not able to give them, I have it out on, on, on view for people you know, at least, you know, pull it out of the drawer and say, Hey, if you need yeah, some more help, or if you have questions or you want to see some cool animals, go meet these people at this certain time at this place. And then, you know, I'd go to the different veterinary offices and introduce myself as part of the society. So I could be an asset to help them out. If there are any unwanted animals they had or anything that's going on, anything they needed from us, we would do our best to help them out. And the same thing with our local animal shelters too. I would go there and introduce ourselves as the herpetological society we want to be a steward to our community and and help people out and help and businesses out uh, so you know the animals will be able to benefit in the long term uh, and that was really the whole goal and you know when i was doing that and we started to get more and more and more people where we're having meetings where there's you know 20 30 40 people showing up and they're just a ton of fun now as i've gotten older i really stop doing the I take in unwanted animal and I find it at home and I really concentrated on keeping what I always wanted to keep and and truly one of those main species for me was blood pythons and I really focus on that and I don't take my animals out of my snake room hardly ever I don't expose them up to uh groups or anything uh they're very visual I don't want anyone to have a bad uh encounter with one of these guys and you know further their questionable reputation as it is even though it's not always deserved or, or in my case widely not deserved among my animals but you know they will get you know, like i took one of my really tame borneos to a meeting once and i have my little tub off to the side and i go to pick him up and take him out towards the middle of the room and i think he visually saw he was so wide open exposed in the middle of this room he just started flopping and flailing everywhere it wasn't striking or anything, but he was just doing the good old short tail flop. And it was everything I could do to basically contain him and get back to the container and put him away. And that was the last time I took a short tail to a meeting because I just felt like they felt too exposed to do it. Um, you know, I that's why I just really started to like help try and shape, you know, the society and help them with programs and everything where I was less hands on going to expos and everything. I'll bring my corn snake. That's about it. <laughs> I'll take I'll take some like sambos every now and then, but I don't take much. Um, I, we and I kind of sort of very similar to how you did. We made up little business cards, and uh, the manager at Pet uh, Pet Co. let us put them on their counter, 
And so, and they would just, then they would always suggest people go to us, go to our Facebook, come to the meetings, if you had any questions about reptile related stuff. So we, we kind of have a really good relationship. It's funny. I worked at PetSmart, but no one that works there now was there when I was there. So I don't really have a relationship with them. Several of the people I worked with at PetSmart now work at Petco. And so I've got a fairly good relationship at Petco than, uh, than PetSmart. And so I'm, I'm one of those, I worked at a big box pet store. So people start bad mouthing them. I'm like, yes, there are some bad situations, but you never know. Sometimes some of these places have really good employees. Like it used to drive me nuts when people wouldn't take me serious. And I'm like, look, damn it. Cause this was after I worked at the zoo, I'd left the zoo. I was working at PetSmart for a little while. Like I, I used to take care of like 13 foot crocodiles. Come on. Like, I know what the fuck I'm talking about when I'm telling you how to take care of this, like this water dragon. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, there's good people and there's bad people. Every, every job we can, everyone can sit here and think of our job we have now, or we've had our last job where someone was a complete dumbass who just didn't care. And then you had to cover and work extra hard for them. And you, we've all worked with people who are just like outstanding. Like, Oh man, they should not have this job. They're too good for this. So I do want to talk real quick about rubber boas because <laughs> I, I like rubber boas. So how often have you ever seen them in the wild there? I have never. They're so freaking hard to find. <laughs> what are the laws there on, on rubber boas? Uh, with a valid hunting license, I believe I can gather three of them and keep them uh, for the duration of their life. I cannot ever uh, release them out into the wild and I cannot sell them. And you, so you cannot produce any either. Uh, I don't know. I don't. You know what I've read about the rubber boas is they live in these really small groups, in like exceptionally small areas, and there's like a little micro population. And um, I feel almost bad if I were to go out and collect something from that. Like, say, I, I found like two large females. So that might be like two out of the three females in that area. And then that in long-term could devastate that population in that square footage, so to speak. I just, it amazes me how cold they can get. Cause you know, growing up, I was always, I had red tail boas and I had boa constrictors. I'm like, all right, they're, they're warm species. And then you look at rubber boas. They're like, Oh, it's freezing. Yeah, no, we're still cool. Yes. Like, oh, there's I remember- snow. We'll come out. I remember reading that they are the species who's been recorded to move at the lowest temperature in the wild. Like they've not seen another uh, snake species out and about with snow on the ground at the low temps that there was. I think it was like, I don't know, 38 degrees or something. It's crazy. And and I've had these in quarantine in my, my bedroom and we had them during the hurricane. And so their heat wasn't working. And, I, and their heat set on super low. I think I have it like 72 or so, something like that. Yeah. But during the hurricane, the one window unit we had running was in my snake room. And that, that room stayed in the low 60s. So we kept it as cold as we could. They're just out cruising around in their tubs like nothing's going on. Yeah. I mean, I just, if truly, if we had to be honest with ourselves, if we could actually have a pet trade viable population of rubber boas, I don't know if it gets much easier care of of a snake um, in terms of, I mean, if it's comfortable in your house, it's probably okay for rubber boa. Honestly, they don't eat very often or very much. They want to brewmate. So you don't have to care for them for four to six months out of the year. I think that's the one area where they would be hard for general public to own them. 
Because they, one, yes. you watch how much someone freaks out when their ball python skips a meal. <laughs> Try when your rubber bow is like, oh, for five months, I'm just going to hang out here in this refrigerator. I'm yeah, cool. I, Leave me alone. I see it a lot with like baby rubber boas. And and from what I've seen, you you I mean, it's been a while since I've read stuff on them. So you may know better than me uh, for sure. Is that basically rubber boa babies are born and they don't eat and they go into brumation yeah, and they, then they eat the following year. Yeah, they brumate right away. It's because yeah. I, I was going to buy um, a pair a while back and then the guy magically lost them when he was supposed to ship them out. Uh, but he was like, they're babies. So they're not really wanting to eat. And so I was talking to Travis Wyman, who has rubber boas, and he was telling me, yeah, he goes, I think it was him, maybe somebody else also, but yeah, usually they're born and you brumate them right away. And then when you bring them out of brumation, they eat. And like, that's the weirdest thing because I'm used to like, oh, babies are born. All right, you shed in a week and then we start feeding you. Yeah, I think they're normally born right in like the late September time here, if I remember right. Yeah. And they just go underground and hang out there until they're ready to eat in yeah. March or April. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, the, you know, you know, you think how cold they, that they are and you're you're talking about that. Where I live is actually a desert area. And we have them here. And so in the summer, we have basically 0% humidity, and it gets over 100 degrees. And then in the winter, we'll get, you know, below freezing. And in the city I live in doesn't get a lot of snow, but the area gets snow. So the, the extremes that they are uh, exposed to and that they are able to live through is astounding, I think, almost compared to almost any other species I can see out there for, for a what snake. It surprises me that there's not more in the hobby because it's it's our snake. It's it's the United we, we have it. No other place has it. It's the United States, and we you can't really find them. I think you what know? it is is most states they're located in they're generally prohibited from collecting and keeping, let alone uh, distributing throughout the U.S. Um, Sucks for y'all over I there on the west. West side. <laughs> I can own them. Sucks for y'all. Well, you you can at least own them. I think was it California that can't or where is it? Some. I think like Washington and Oregon have some prohibitive laws against owning them to some aspect, and I can't remember them. But I know it's definitely more difficult for them to own them than it is for me. And then the same with California, if I remember right. Um, but I don't spend a whole bunch of time reading other states' laws. Uh, I can understand that. They, uh, but they are like, I couldn't imagine finding one in the wild. Although you can't imagine finding one in the wild either. So. I don't even know what I do. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, it's been so many years. I've been looking for one for twenty three years, and I just now found one. They're they're cool. So have you? Have, I'm assuming have you ever held one? Oh yeah, in captivity. We, there's people that would bring them in the pet store all the time. Oh, we were just hiking and we found this. I'm like, son of a bitch. I spent a whole day looking for one. <laughs> They're a they're a really cool weird snake, and like, yeah. it, it's just hard to explain them. But I can't wait till mine are adults and like you have to hold a big a big female. I say big, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's like two feet. Like, that's not big, but yeah, I deal with small big, snakes. Yeah. And you know, of all the people I've known that owned them, I don't think I've heard of a more consistently escaped species in a rubber boa. Really, more than corn baby corn snakes. Uh, yes. That's impressive. Not no, that a lot of people keep them. So, I mean, or the numbers aren't really, you know, lying up there. It's like statistically significant. <laughs> Mine are never going in a rack system then. Mine are always going to stay in tubs with lids. 
I, I don't know what I would do if I if I lost one. I I would I'd tear the whole house apart. You'd be very like, sad. I've I've lost like baby Sambo. Well, I say I've lost babies. I've lost one baby Sambo this year. And I was like, fuck it. If it shows up, it shows up. And it did. We found it. Uh, but I was like, I'm not I'm not gonna go really hard looking for it. I can tell you right now, if the rubber bow gets out, everything will be in the yard. <laughs> the house will be empty until I oh, I'd lose my shit. Uh, real quick. Uh, YouTube videos this week. I did watch a few YouTube videos, so I wanted to throw them out there. I okay. sent one. To, I sent one to you, April, that I know you didn't watch. I also sent it to Kyle. Is that a, did that Kyle watch that's it? your statement? April. I did. I sent the link to him. Did you watch it, April? Yes, I watched it. Are you lying right now? Yes, I am. <laughs> She's on the hub. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Dumas put out a, a video uh, this week. Three reptile room essentials. He he had built a reptile room in his garage. Took a half a garage and insulated it. Insulation was a big one, which it is, but it's so weird on where you live. Like, talk about where you live, uh, Kyle. Insulation's big because obviously it gets freezing, but then you got to fight that when it gets warm and you got to cool it off. Same for uh, Ryan because he lives up north. So he said insulation. And then, like, uh, heat and then, air, like, cooling, being able to cool it down as well were super important. Um, yeah, I, uh, I live in a, an apartment, actually, like a, like a duplex, and it's, like, cinder blocks filled with sand. And uh, the windows aren't really the best insulation. I mean, I get a lot of heat and uh, cold coming through the window, so I got them covered up with a whole bunch of stuff. But That's in the funny. summer, it gets, what was that? Your duplex is built the same way my tortoise barn is built. It's cinder blocks. Yeah, I, I heard you say that. I'm like, hey, I live in a tortoise barn. Look at that. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, in the summer, it gets really hot here. So I got my little blood pythons in here that like 80 degrees. So I opened the door to the snake room. And I got a fan blowing in here from another room that's got an AC unit. And then I got fans blowing on in here. And it, it's fine. And then. Uh, that, that sounds you know, like a lot happening. Not really. It's a f- I open a door and turn on a fan. How dry? <laughs> how dry does it get there? It's dry all the time. Like, do you do you do any sort of like uh, humidifier or anything? Oh no, I just have a big. I mean, I have a water dish in the tub, and that's good enough. Gotcha. I've I've so noticed get- like this last r- rack that I built. I put lots of holes in the tubs, which I don't normally do, and I've noticed some. Oh, less than ideal sheds, but that's an easy one for me to fix. I'll just put tape over the holes. Most of my tubs don't have a lot of holes because we don't have a lot of humidity here, but I do leave like a large gap at the top of my tubs for some air circulation. But uh, I really don't have any problems with the shedding or humidity. Everything does just fine. Yeah, I only my shedding. I don't really have too many shedding issues. My only one that sheds bad is uh is my male rainbow boa. My female does pretty good. Even if I spray the whole damn thing down, he still sheds in pieces. It all comes off. He never has stuck shed. It's just like when he sheds, it's time for a bedding change. Cause there's no like, just pick the shed up and throw it out. It's just, it's like confetti all over the yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's uh, annoying when they do that. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's really annoying when they do it and they rub up against like the glass and the sides of the cage and then it gets stuck. So it dries to it. So, you could just yeah, like, like it when I come home and uh, yeah, but it takes I like get, like go ahead. 
I was saying, like, I'll come home and I smell something. I feel like the rock. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like oh. somebody peed and I open it and it's like pee in the shed. I'm like, oh, awesome. Nice. It's like a, it's it's like when I fill up a condom, it's just throw it what? away. Sheesh. What? You, you've never filled one up. You're April, right. April, April, are you saying you've never you've never seen condoms? That tells us enough about you. Uh, oh man, jeez. I, I'm not. People, no. stay safe out there. Stay safe. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, but uh, so there's Ryan's video, which is a really good one. Uh, I did. I watched before I got on here. I actually watched a video from Saint Discovery. They put out a newer video on their new setup for their reptile zoo. Uh, the new update on the reptile zoo. Which, which is really quit talking to me, Siri. That okay. scared the crap out of me, dude. <laughs> uh, uh, Siri started talking to me, uh, but their new video shows uh, where they're at now, and like the next video coming out is going to show where they went down to Texas and picked up their uh, rock from. Um, why can I not think of the place in Texas that makes the rock? Um, did it come to me? It's something rock. I can't think of it. Shit. Is it like a fake rock that they're making? Yeah, they make rock for like zoo type enclosures, uh, um, rock backgrounds, rock uh, just like um, th- my brain is is so fucking. It's like fried. they drove to Texas to get a rock. What the? <laughs> no, I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> it's it's uh it's I want to say it's the same ones that did like bar the real checks. fancy rock. It's the same ones that did like oh, bar checks. Oh, like rock the like the foam covered in cement. Yeah, like um, the landscaping type thing. Yeah, like like it looks like real rock. Things can climb on it and won't tear it. It's not the same as when we, you know, someone uses foam in the back of a crested gecko cage and covers it with dirt and goes, look at the the fake rock background. It's not that. I do that. Uh, I'm not saying hear... anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's not going to work for a monitor lizard. I used to this. keep crested geckos, and the way I made it naturalistic is I, I I printed pictures of New Caledonia and laminated them, and I put them around the sides of their enclosure. <laughs> Gene, yes. <laughs> nice. So that their next video is them coming back with that to start setting up their new cages. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that place. I would like to go up there once it's built and see Ed and Emily's uh, reptile zoo up there for Snake Discovery. That's that's what we're talking about YouTube. And I talk about all the time. That's one of the YouTube channels that I think does it properly. Uh, her over the top excitement is her. That's just how she is. It's not put on for the camera. And then. I think that's all I watched this week. I don't think I watched a ton. Oh, I did try to watch a video someone did of the Hamburg show, just so I could try to get an idea of what the Hamburg show was like, but they only kept it on the animals instead of all the people at the Hamburg show. So I was like, damn it. I wanted to see what that show was like. I have such a hard time watching those videos of the expos because like, when they go across a really cool blood python, they go right past it super fast to get some ball pythons. And I have to sit there hey, and you. go back and forth and try and hit pause to look like, Yes. <laughs> yes. And it ends up being just like straight up ball pythons for 20 minutes. I'm like, I don't give a shit about you just show me ball pythons for 20 minutes. I mean, ball pythons so, are pretty cool. I mean, there's some really no, pretty no, ones. No, no, they're not. Quit lying. No, oh, come on. You want one. <laughs> I do actually want one, but I'm not going to admit that. So be quiet. I didn't say that. I'm sorry you don't have any balls. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I got no balls, but I got rubbers. We're good. Oh, geez. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> oh, anyways, that's all I've got for this that's week. It? That what? is it. I'm, there wasn't a lot 
on i said there wasn't a lot on youtube i i listen anybody listening i need more good good youtube reptile channels uh I do want to mention. I I, I never mention. I always forget to mention it. The uh, Herpeticulture magazine. I always forget to mention Justin's Herpeticulture magazine. Anybody out there who who likes reptiles, anything, go find it. it's online. Uh, you can find them on Facebook. I believe it's like just search Herpeticulture magazine, and uh, it's an all it's a free online reptiles magazine. If you enjoy the old school like reptiles magazine, like getting that in the mail and reading that, it's that. But now it's on your phone. And it's done from people in the hobby. A lot of the names you've heard write the articles. Um, it's done really, really well. And Justin's done an amazing job with that magazine. And I feel like it needs, I wanted to plug that because I always forget to. And I hate that I forget to, but it is a great magazine. I owe him an article too. I haven't forgot, Justin. So what are you going to write it on? Um, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Um, how to get your dream reptile room. Uh, within a budget that is for you like in a yeah like cost saving kind of ways without like cutting corners does it involve a hotel (laughs) no oh one more month guys one more month and it's over universal rock by the way that was the place universal (laughs) rock I looked it up. I, I honestly searched <laughs> "fake rock Texas" and it was the first thing that comes up. Hey, good Google search right there. <laughs> All so right, man. Well, I, Kyle, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, blood pythons are pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I want to thank my boss for letting me leave work early so I could be on this. This is fun. I'd like to thank your boss for letting you leave work early so you could be on this. Yeah. Because what time zone are you in? Uh, Mountain time zone. It's in between Central and... No one fucking knows that time zone exists. I know. Everyone forgets. Yeah, but Uh, everyone knows Eastern, because that's usually like TV schedules, Eastern time zone. Central, it's always like Eastern or Central. And we know, you know, out West, we got that, but the mountain time zone just gets lost. I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you the borders for the mountain time zone. I just so, think like Colorado is somewhere in there. Maybe Wyoming. Yes, I got nothing. My when where I went to school did go above sixth grade, so I did learn that there is a mountain time zone. I I know the mountain time zone exists. I know that. I at least know that much. <laughs> I just don't give a shit enough to remember where what states are in it. It's okay. Um, so I know it's now, not California. You're such a hot mess, James. My so, God. No, look, half the people listening have no idea what what's in the mountain time zone. They just know it's those states that where the population's like twelve. I suppose they could Google what states are in the mountain time zone. I could Google that, but <laughs> fuck, I'd rather I don't just know. Let's see. All right. where, states. Where, where was that in, saying? You know, helping yeah. people who want to be helped. States and mountain time zone. <laughs> Google says uh, it doesn't give a fuck. You're not going there anyways. So that was the answer. That was. Oh, it looks like you're not finding rubber bows in the wild. All right. Well, with that, Kyle, where can they find you? They, as in the people listening, if they want to ask you any questions about um, the society, the snake club, or uh, blood pythons, or rubber boas, or, or anything how not that to we find talked rubber about boas. today. Yeah, how not to yeah. find them. Where <laughs> uh, can they, they find can, you? They can come to the Idaho Herpetological Society Facebook page. Yeah, you are. They can, Sorry, I had to. One more time they can message us uh they can if they like blood pythons and whatnot they can join one of the blood python groups on facebook i am in almost all of them 
Um, and they can seek me out and speak to me on there. They can send me a friend request. Um, there is a picture of me holding a fake Stanley Cup from a hockey team winning our championship game. I saw uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I actually do have another page. I haven't uh, loaded up anything for a while. It's called Snake Training. There is a picture of a milk snake uh, with me trying to give it a dog treat. Uh, How'd that go? Oh, he's fine. He like he like checked it out. Um, but you know, I get questions on there every now and then. I did a series of videos to kind of help people out. Um, mostly when I would see a topic on one of the groups that would frustrate me, I'd go make a video, and I was kind of a smart ass about it. But then I started to be helpful. Oh, that reminds you me. There was no there way. was one thing I saw in a group this week, uh, and I sent it sent it to you, April, and in our group chat about the person that left the rat in with their boa for three days. A live rat and uh it ended up it had getting babies. birth it had baby well like they're like they asked do snakes know how and they explained the whole process and like do snakes can they tell if they're pregnant and they don't want to eat them and that was no one focused on that part at all they're all like the fuck is wrong with you why'd you leave a rat in there for three days and the person actually replies on one of them well after a day and they weren't messing with each other it was just kind of an experiment to see what would happen <laughs> we're all like we can fucking tell you what will happen if you leave it in there Oh. But this, at this least is it where, wasn't a ball python. It's <laughs> true, but well, and we're all like, if your boa didn't eat, there's something wrong with your boa because they eat. They just fed it four days prior. That that could be it. <laughs> Probably they fed, Probably. They fed a, a, a pre a pregnant rat four oh. days ago, and it's still full. Yeah, but yeah, it, like the rat kicked it out of kicked the snake out of its own hide, and then had babies in there. I'm like, at no point you thought this was wrong, like. Just the thought never went in their head that they're like, it was fine. I checked on it. It was okay. Nothing happened. You're an idiot. So I, just, I had to put it out there that if anybody out there is thinking of leaving their live rats in there with their snakes for more than, you know, an hour or less, uh, you're an idiot. This is like absolute squirrel brain. Here I am trying to wrap up the podcast. And then James brings up another well, topic. So I was thinking, I'm just kidding. I got nothing else. Alrighty, so if you are looking for me, you can find me at Bloods by Design. If I had anything uploaded on social media at all, but I do not. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, no, you can't. You cannot find her that because it doesn't exist. So if anybody wants to act quick and steal that, it's all yours. If you have, get up and no, go. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> I haven't. I do. It yet. I'm gonna chime in. I do actually have some blood python babies available, but I've never posted them. Hey, Ooh. are they T positive? They they are het for T positive. Uh, they are very nice. They've never struck or bit. I've popped them all four times. They're really inquisitive. They handle like a ball python, except for the balling up part. That would be a great intro to someone into blood pythons. Yeah, you should hit Kyle up, guys. Uh, but not me because mine are kind of jerks. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm still working on that though. They're getting better. They are getting better. If, if you want ones you can hold, hit up Kyle. If you want assholes. Hit up April. And you just got to You got to be so slow with them because I'm just gaining their trust and I can't lose it yet. I just can't. Um, anyway, but you can find me still on YouTube at Designer Exotics, but I will be changing that name soon. And uh, April Justine on Facebook. What about you, James? Where can I find you? Uh, you can find me at simply underscore serpents on Instagram. And I haven't updated a picture on there forever. So I should probably do that at some point. I'll do that when I get my new snake tomorrow. Uh, you can also find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook. I only have a few Samboas left. They're all like hit for Anry. I take the back. I had a couple Anries finally decide that starving was a bad idea. So they began eating last week. So we'll see if that continues. 
for us, you can find us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, at gmail.com, uh, on all podcasting platforms. Uh, you can also find me for the next month and a half at a Herps Reptile Show, most likely. As long as you're not in Stafford, Texas, you'll find me at a Herps Reptile Show. Hey. So come by, see me, tell me how much you love hearing about April's ball sacks, which we didn't mention your ball sacks much on this episode. But yeah, but man, I, I muted myself so much because they were freaking jerks. She's got some noisy ball sacks. Anyway. So that is it for me. Thank you, Kyle. It was, it's been great. I, I didn't realize it had been almost two hours. But damn, it's been almost two hours. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was yeah, nice talking to you. On. I don't know. April didn't say anything. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I had to mute myself so much. <laughs> ball sacks. All right. Good night. Nighty. Nighty.